So how many of you have been to the theater and seen the latest Spider-Man film? Yeah, because, yeah, spoiler alert, I'm sorry. I told you guys, I told you, I told you when it came out, I said, you need to go see it because I'm going to be preaching on Spider-Man because there's just too much goodness in this movie that I'm just going to have to bring it out. I'm not going to spoil everything, but I am going to spoil a lot this morning. So, you know, I don't know what you're going to do. I can kind of like raise my hand when I'm going to talk about it and put your fingers in your ears and kind of do that. Um, But yeah, we, you know, we've been through these various iterations of Spider-Man, right? We had the the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man in the early 2000s and we had the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man in the 2010s. And then it was just like really disorienting because I think the last Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, The Amazing Spider-Man, came out in 2014. And 2016, there's another Spider-Man. Like every time we turn around, there's another Spider-Man. And that does factor into this movie, but I won't say anything else. Um, (laughs) Listen, they're going to start advertising using some of this material uh, coming in February, I've already, I've already heard it. It was a long-standing secret. In fact, there were many denials, but I, I won't get into it right now. I'll, I'll leave you at least another week or two if you don't know everything that's going on. But I am going to tell you a little bit about the plot because the title of the message this morning is Spider-Man Love. Because believe it or not, in the latest Spider-Man, although they don't, you know, it's like Valentine's oriented and these sorts of things, uh, there is an action taken by Spider-Man at the end of the movie that I think is a good example of love, at least the type of love that we are talking about right now. So last week, uh, I brought some kids up here and we built a pyramid. So I had three kids on the bottom. I had two kids that got on their backs and I had one little guy that uh, we put on the top of them, who, by, by the way, was very enthusiastic. I mean, Craig was doing the announcements and Mateo just came up here and stood. He's like, what? I'm ready. So he was, he was our last one. So those of you that were here last week, can you remember the names of those three kinds of love? What was the bottom one called? Agape. So that should be the foundation of every kind of love. That's the foundational definition of love. Love's not a feeling. It's a commitment. Love's not a feeling. It's a to act in the best interest of the person you choose to love. A commitment to act in the what? Best interest. So that doesn't require me to have any kind of feeling at all. I'm just going to look out for what's good for you. You don't have to like the person in order to love them. Believe it or not, that's where it needs to begin. You may have some overwhelming feelings towards someone else a certain someone, a special someone. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, but that's not the basis of love. And we're gonna talk about that foundation uh, today uh, in a little bit more detail. Really, a couple of weeks ago when I titled the sermon, Where is the Love? I didn't use the word agape, but we were talking about that kind of love, right? And then what I'm gonna talk about next week was the, the middle layer, right? And that middle layer is what? Do you remember the name, the word? Right, so philos is the word I used for years. That's actually the Greek word for friend. And this is friendship love, friend and family love. It's what uh, Plato, right, 400 years before Jesus, Plato called philos, or actually the word is philia, right? And he called this kind of love the milk of human kindness. And it is the basis for family and friend love. That's philia. And then on top, this is what we normally associate with love on Valentine's Day, and it's the word what? Eros. We get our word erotic from that, 
And you probably have all kinds of uh, associations with that. You're like, wait, wait, this is a family church. Don't talk like that. Right? Okay. We just call it romantic love, okay? And we'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. Um, so today, I want, to, I want to talk about agape, and I want to show you how agape love is actually Spider-Man love if we look at the way Spider-Man acted in this latest movie. But before we get into that, and I spoil the movie for those of you that haven't seen it, um, if you've got a bulletin, I'm going to give you three U's. The first three, uh, number one, number two, and number three in your bulletin are three U's that will help us to define agape love. First of all, agape love is universal. That means it applies to every person. If they're a person, then we as believers in Jesus are obligated to love them. Jesus even said, love your enemies. How in the world can you? I'm not saying trust your enemy. I'm not saying like your enemy, but love your enemy means you do what's best for your enemy, right? So we can love anybody. We can love a friend. We can love an acquaintance. We can love a partner. Um, you know, that kind of love. It's universal. As long as they're a person, then we need to aim for love to be the basis of that relationship. Now, people have all kinds of other bases for their relationship with other people, right? But the basis might be expedience. That means they have something that you want or they can do something for you so you enter into a relationship with them. The basis, you know, let's talk about romantic love. The basis can be desire. You know, you just, you're attracted to that person. You want that person. But guys, that's not love. In fact, I'm going to say this in a couple of weeks, but I might as well just repeat it early. Sex is not love. Just review that in your mind. In fact, honestly, sex ruins love many times. Now, I'm not saying it can't be expressed with love. It can in God's plan and in God's timing and in God's way, right? So uh, expedience, desire, convenience. I remember for years, for years, I brought teenagers to youth camp. And I would see these little relationships develop over the period of a week. And it was because, you know, hey, it's convenient. You know, you're here, I'm here, you know, we'll just be a thing for a week. And they may, may even trade phone numbers, right? And I could give some prominent examples here, but I don't want anybody to become angry um, or embarrassed. But nonetheless, you know, those relationships kind of fizzle. Now, there are other uh, bases for relationships that people have. But what I want to challenge you, if you don't get anything else out of this message, I want to challenge you to seek to base every human relationship, every relationship with another person on God's agape love, which is universal. And number next, it is unconditional. It doesn't have requirements. That's why you can love your enemy because there's no requirement. There, there's nothing else that has to be there. You simply choose to love that person because they're a person made in God's image. The scripture says, and we covered this a couple of weeks ago, but by way of reminder, Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment in the Bible was, uh, you know, in the law. And he said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Or another trend, version has it all in your heart, soul, mind, and strength. What it means is love God with all you are. That's contained in Deuteronomy chapter 6, a passage that's often called uh, the Shema by the Jewish people because it begins with the Hebrew word for hear, listen. Shema ho Israel, listen, O Israel, the Lord our Lord is one and you will love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So Jesus said that's the greatest commandment. 
And then he said the second, which is like it, is love your neighbor as yourself, okay? So when we love other people, we accept God's love for us, and then we use that as a basis and a strength to love other people the way God loves us. In fact, that's why Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you, love one another even as I have loved you. The new commandment is not love, it is the, the, the reference for love or the basis for that love, which is Jesus' love for us. You see, the reality is, um, we can say, as the law says, love your neighbor as yourself, but we don't all take care of ourselves the way we should take care of ourselves. Now, there's, you have within you a natural self-preservation instinct, right? And so, you know, people are, are going to seek their own goods, seek their own interest. And what the, the commandment and the law is trying to say, hey, the way you already seek your own interest, you need to seek that for the neighbor, for the person that is nearby. And by the way, um, a neighbor is not just the person that lives next door to you. It's not just the person that lives across the street. A neighbor is anyone who is nearby. And these days, in the, in the, the age of the, of the virtual, you can encounter somebody from all the way across on the other side of the world. And rather than arguing with them over points of politics or which, you know, your favorite football team is or whether you think the Cowboys should fire their coach or whatever it is that you've got going on right now, um, you can choose to respond to them via social media or however you're in communication with them uh, with their best interest in mind. That's what it means. But since we don't really all take care of ourselves the way we should, the better way for us to, uh, to have a an understanding of how to love other people is to receive the love that Jesus has for us. Love one another even as I have loved you. So if you really want to get this love, you've got to receive God's love. Now, everything I'm trying to do is to get you to love, to get you to love other people, to get you to love God. But honestly, we're somewhat incapable of doing that without receiving God's love because we're always going to have some selfish interest at the base of our love for other people. You probably love your kids, but you know, your kid is like mini you, right? So it's, it's almost like you're kind of loving you. Um, you know, you, you love your, your, your spouse and, you know, hopefully it, you, you have reasons for that that go all the way back to when you started dating. But the reason why there's so much divorce and people say, I fall out of love with you and so forth is because it's not based on God's love, right? It's based on just Eros love, which we'll cover in a few weeks. But Eros love is very, very conditional. And agape is not. So you've got to enter into that relationship with that potential spouse or uh, continue that relationship with your spouse with the basis of God's love uh, running through it. So it is universal for every other person. It is unconditional. What that means is love is the basis for mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Well, we throw those words around a lot, but what does that mean? Mercy is when you don't get what you deserve. You've done something wrong, you deserve punishment for it, but you don't get it, right? Um, maybe you made a mistake or maybe you just outright did something wrong, stole something. Well, you should have to, uh, to be punished for that. But if the person that you stole from says, I forgive you, that's mercy. Grace 
is when we receive something that we don't deserve. That's when God offers us his love without condition. We're not doing anything to get his attention. We're not uh, we're not walking through a set of laws or requirements in order to get God's love. Now, that doesn't mean he doesn't want you to live according to his requirements. In fact, Jesus said, if you love me, do what I say. But God is going to love you no matter what. He's going to pursue you to the ends of the earth, right? To the, the bottom of hell and to the heights of heaven, God is going to pursue you. He loves you. So we receive the love that God offers us. We receive his mercy and his grace, and then we offer that. Okay. And the last you, number three, is agape is unselfish. Now, I covered this quite a bit uh, in that message a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's important for us to understand this today uh, because of what I'm going to say in a moment using the Spider-Man example. Um, agape is unselfish. This is why we really need Jesus' new commandment in order to love people the way they need to be loved, because otherwise there's always this selfish referent. It's always coming back on me. There's always this, well, what am I going to get out of it? Okay, well, if I'm going to love you, are you going to love me back, right? Uh, are you going to do anything for me? Okay, then I'll love you. But see, that's not really specifically love. There could be some love in there. There could be some warm feelings in there, but that's not really love. So what I need to realize is that love is inherently unselfish. So love is universal. Love is unconditional. Love is unselfish. Remember those three. That's really, really important. And when you think about the relationships that you have with other people, consider do you, are you following those three U's for this basic form of love, this foundational love, right? So in keeping with that idea of love being unselfish, I want you to understand number four in your outline, by the way, um, love moves ever outward. So have you ever been at the lake and you, you kind of throw a rock out there and you watch the concentric circles move out, right? The rock hits in the middle or what becomes the middle and then these concentric circles flow out. That's love coming out in waves from you. It starts at you, obviously, but love moves away from you. This is the challenge of being a parent, of course. So when your child is a baby and when they're younger, they absolutely need you every moment. You're like, yes, they are exhausting, okay? And they learn to get beyond the need and to, to have something more than attachment, they learn to love you. But as they get older, they move further and further from you. And you have to learn to let go of your child. It can't be an all or nothing thing where, well, when you're 18, then you're out on your own. There has to be this movement toward independence. Well, as that movement out from you happens, there is a movement out from the self to other people. Right. So I, I'm at the center of that circle, but love moves out in waves and it becomes increasingly unselfish. Now, there's a tendency, I think, to perhaps think, well, you know, then this means that I don't get what I need. Or, or maybe there are people that don't have a, a healthy self-image and they think, well, I need to kind of dislike myself or loathe myself and, and like other people better than I like myself. No, what I'm going to get at is love needs to be self-forgetful. Not self-loathing, but self 
forgetful. Love moves ever outward away from self and toward other people. And then number five, if I'm going to truly love someone, I must become self-forgetful. And now we get to my Spider-Man example, right here at the center of the sermon. Don't, don't shake your head. No, you should have you already seen the movie, right? So in this latest movie, um, it, it begins really at the end of the previous movie, uh, Spider-Man Far From Home. And it, at the end of Spider-Man Far From Home, basically Spider-Man gets doxxed, right? We find out who he is. Spider-Man is Peter Parker, and you know you've got the guy. It's, you know, he's the newscaster, and he, he's Spider-Man, and he's always up there. This is Spider-Man, and he's a menace. He's a menace, right? And so now we know it's actually Peter Parker. There's like helicopters flying around outside of his apartment, and like his life has just been completely disrupted because, you know, he was your typical superhero. He was, it was a secret, and now everybody knows. And so he goes to his old friend, Dr. Strange, Dr. Stephen Strange, and, you know, of course, bear in mind, this is the MCU. This is not reality. This is just fun. And we're thinking through this. Stephen Strange is this phenomenal magician, right? And uh, not the kind of magician we think of where, you know, they're just kind of manipulating things in front of your eyes and deceiving you. No, this guy can actually do like serious magic, right? Was once the keeper of the time stone so he could reverse time and all of this stuff. So Peter Parker goes to him because, you know, they just saved the world a couple of movies ago. And, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he says, sir, and Dr. Strange and Stephen Strange says, please, please, we save the world together. He says, okay, Stephen. And then Dr. Strange says, that's kind of weird, but I'll allow it. Right. And so he basically appeals to Dr. Strange and he says, will you please help these people to forget that I'm Spider-Man? because it's ruining my life. And it's not just ruining my life, it's ruining the lives of my friends. Now I won't go into all the details because I want you to, if you want to see the movie, go see the movie. So I'm not gonna tell you all the ways it's ruining the lives of his friends, but him being doxxed like he was is ruining his life and ruining the life of, of his girlfriend, MJ, and his best friend, uh, the little Star Wars guy, I can't remember his name. Ned. Ned, Ned thank you. <laughs> Should have memorized all the names properly, but I forgot, so. And uh, yeah, it's ruining their lives. Like, you know, they're just having some serious problems. And so Spider-Man's request is somewhat selfish, but not entirely selfish. He's being unselfish because he sees how it's hurting his friends and his aunt, okay, Aunt May. Which by the way, she, this is a different aunt than any of these previous aunts. Like she's really gorgeous. And the other aunts were just like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to that? That was just really weird. In the first Spider-Man, I was like, wait a minute. That's Aunt May? Whoa. Okay, I don't know who that actress is, but she is pretty. Um, in any event, I'm sorry. I, she's pretty. I can appreciate beauty. So he goes to Doctor Strange, and, and Doctor Strange is warned, no, don't do that spell, because he can't reverse time anymore. Because if you watched, you know, uh, Avengers Infinity, whatever it was called, Infinity Wars, whatever it was called, all right, the, the, the stones ended up getting destroyed. So there's no more time stone. So Dr. Strange says, well, no, wait a minute. Uh, there is something I can do. It's a forgetting spell. And you know, and they always do this. They do this and like these, you know, these golden circles come out and then they do this. And then these little characters dance around their heads. And so Dr. Strange takes Spider-Man into the basement, takes Peter, Peter Parker into the basement. And he starts doing this, and then this stuff starts dancing around his head. And then Peter Parker says, well, wait, wait, wait. And that's kind of the way he talks, right? Well, wait, wait, 
Does, does that mean everybody will forgive me? Everybody, everybody? No, no, no. I, I, mean, I mean, MJ can't forgive me. It's just, okay, okay. You're, you're ruining the spell. It's in the middle of the spell. Okay, that's fine. No, no, but Ned, Ned can't get for me. Yeah, Aunt May can't forgive me. So he keeps adding people and Dr. Strange is like, you're ruining the spell, right? So basically, Peter starts getting increasingly selfish and it completely ruins the spell. And so then what happens, and there's a lot here, and I'm not going to go into all of it, but all of these bizarre characters, these nemeses, these enemies from previous Spider-Man movies start coming from alternate universes into the current Spider-Man's universe. I mean, they just all start showing up, right? The Green Goblin shows up and, and Doc Ock, remember Doc Ock? Which great. There's a, there's a, and I'm not ruining anything because this is in like the previews. There's a really funny uh, moment where Doc Ock is kind of he's sort of locked up in this little room here. And Peter and Ned and MJ are standing there. And he's like, well, uh, well what is your name? Dr. Otto Octavius. And they look at each other and like, <laughs> no, what's your actual name? Right. I thought it was funny. Anyway, obviously, some of you don't need to see this movie because you're not nearly as entertained as I thought you were going to be by this illustration. <laughs> Golly, I thought I'd have you hanging on every word. And you're like, what? We've already seen it. We've seen the previews and you're not a very good actor. Okay, that's fine. But nonetheless, they all start, you know, find the, the sand guy. Remember that guy from, you know, the early movies? He, like the guy that just turned into sand. The lizard dude, I forgot about him. The dude that's just like, I don't know what he is. He's like a cross between a dinosaur and a giant lizard, right? And then there's the Electro Man. I don't know who that is either, right? But he's like, yeah, yeah, I love this power. More power, more electricity. And they are all out to get Peter Parker because in the other stories, if you've been watching Spider-Man for the last 20 years, Peter Parker has basically defeated or killed these people. Well, Stephen Strange has a way of letting them you know, putting them back in their own universe. But again, Peter Parker shows some unselfishness and some compassion. And he's like, but wait, 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 wait. That's how he says it, by the way. Wait, 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 wait. But, but they're, they're, they'll die, you know, because basically his alternate versions killed them in the other realities. And so um, Peter Parker, true to his nature, wants to be the savior. And so he wants to save all of these different figures. Um, he hasn't really faced them as enemies, so he doesn't really have a reason to be angry with them or hold them in contempt or fear them or anything like that. He just wants to do what Peter Parker does, Spider-Man does. He wants to save them. Well, you know, long story short, everything just starts going wrong. It gets crazier and crazier and more and more out of control. And I'm leaving out the really, really coolest part. So go see the movie. But at the end of the movie, and I am going to give this away, so I'm sorry. But the end of the movie, the reality of the current Spider-Man is so messed up that Doctor Strange can't put it back together. He's trying to hold back all of these figures that are these people that are coming from these other universes and other realities. And he's like, I can't hold them back. I can't hold them back anymore. So Peter Parker says, well, what if they're all coming after me? What if they just forget about me? So we're all the way back to his initial request. But see, when he requested that at the beginning of the movie, it was for selfish reasons. It was hurting him. But now he sees that this is hurting everyone. The only way that this is going to work is if everybody forgets about him. That includes MJ. That includes Ned. Right? 
they all have to forget. And he is willing to let that happen if it will save the world, right? So why am I calling this sermon Spider-Man Love? Because I don't think that you need to loathe yourself. Neither do I believe that you need to focus on yourself and love yourself first to, in order to love others. I think you need to receive the love of Jesus and forget about yourself. I, there is a blessedness to self-forgetfulness. There really is. Get yourself out of the windshield. Put yourself in the rearview mirror and then look straight ahead and decide, determine in your heart to care about other people, to put other people in honor above yourself. Now, yes, you're gonna care for your needs and so forth, but I don't need to constantly be taking selfies and looking at myself in the mirror. Do you realize that for thousands of years, people didn't even have a good mirror? And now, I mean, you can take pictures of yourself, you know, with stunning detail. And as you get older, you don't want to do that anymore, right? I can always tell, you know, the, the younger people, you're still young and you're still pretty and you're like taking pictures of yourself all over them. The rest of us are like, eh, now nah, I'm good. And I don't want that, okay? But, you know, we're obsessed with ourselves. We're, I posted this uh, several years back, but we are a narcissistic culture, right? And Narcissus, the, the, the famous uh, Greek myth, of this fellow named Narcissus. He was beautiful, he was a young man, and he looked, not in a mirror, but he looked in the placid waters uh, of, a, of a pool, and he saw himself there, and he couldn't tear himself away. He, was, he fell in love with himself. And so, in the myth, uh, Narcissus just ends up turning to stone there, and because of the way he is, uh, it ends up looking like the shape of this flower that is named uh, after that, which reminded the Greeks of the, the, the myth of Narcissus. But we have this term narcissistic now, and it seems to me like, it, you know, I hear regularly people accusing other people of being narcissistic or accusing politicians of being narcissistic. And I would say that oftentimes it's true. But remember, when you're pointing one finger at other people, there are how many pointing back at you? at least three. And, you know, when you were a kid, I, I, you know, I was a kid a million years ago, but when you were a kid, did you ever, when somebody called you a name, did you ever say, yeah, it takes one to know one? Did you ever say that? <laughs> but it does. Why do you recognize this narcissism in these other people? Because you know it's in you. This tendency to want to be self-absorbed. And I'm telling you, that is interfering with your ability to love other people. And it is binding you. It is keeping you from being free. We're like narcissists, but we're looking at these little mobile devices, right? I've told you guys before that the, the reason social media is so prominent and so important to people is because it is giving you this. You're looking for people to tell you that what you have said is important. We're looking for other people to value us. But you can be free of all of that if you simply receive the value that God offers in His love and choose to love other people, choose to value other people, right? Choose to, rather than being the person that posts and hopes that everybody else will respond, be the one that goes out and finds other people and finds things that you can like about them, right? 
Well, believe it or not, this is integral to what it means to be a Christian. And number six in your outline, Jesus taught us to deny ourselves in order to follow him. He said, unless you deny yourself and take up your cross daily and follow me, you can't be my disciple. So there's a certain privatistic, uh, selfish Christianity that has been promoted in our culture for quite a while. And it's no wonder to me that a lot of it is dying out right now because it's costing more and more for you to be a genuine Christian these days, right? Um, if you fall into certain crowds of people, Christianity is, is a, a non-starter with them. They don't want to hear it. And, and you're going you're gonna to be rejected if you call yourself a Christian. Well, Jesus said, that's fine. You need to deny yourself in order to follow me. And by the way, uh, what I quoted just a moment ago uh, is found in Luke 9, 23 and 24. Uh, and it's also found in Mark and it's also found in Matthew. It's very prominent in the uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark and Luke. And there's another version of it in John where uh, Jesus said, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself alone. But if it dies, it bears many seeds, right? That seed has to die to being a seed so that it can become the plant that is within it. If you want to become who you were created to be, you have to die to you. You don't need to go on a journey of self-discovery. You need to go on a journey following Jesus and you're gonna discover who you are in Christ, and it's gonna free you to love other people, right? So number seven, Jesus was willing to die to prove God's love for us, right? That's how we know. Now, he didn't stay dead or we wouldn't be praying to him. He rose from the dead, but he died to pay the penalty for our sin and to prove the love of God that God has for us. So as a result, um, we need to die to ourselves in order to follow him. So that's number seven. Jesus was willing to die to prove God's love for us. You and I are called to die to ourselves in order to follow him. Die to self. I just put me to the back and I proceed following Jesus, loving God and loving other people. So number eight, every time you consider someone else's needs above your own, every time you do that, you are following Jesus and showing them love. What is an example of this not happening? Well, you know, I don't know how many of you pay attention to the news, but there has been, of course, this raging debate since the beginning of the pandemic about face masks. There are people that think that everybody needs to wear one. There are people that won't wear one even if it kills them. And I'm not here to open that debate up again, but I am gonna say this. There was a person on a plane uh, from the United States, I can't remember uh, where they left. It was, it was something on the Eastern seaboard, like New York or Boston or something like that. And the plane took off for London. And this sole person on the plane, now they know, before you get on a plane today, they're gonna tell you what? You will wear a face mask. So why in the wide world of sports, you would book a flight to London and refuse to wear a face mask? I don't know. But it's pretty doggone so I don't like face masks. I don't want to wear a face mask. But if I get on a plane and everybody on that plane is wearing a face mask and I'm expected to wear a face mask, I'm going to put the face mask on. Now, you might say, well, you're, you know, you're law abiding and that's good. No, because honestly, I just care about those other people. Right. I don't need to be causing trouble. Well, these are my rights. Then why are you on this plane? 
the plane had to turn around and fly back to the airport so they could let this person off because they were so unconcerned about everybody else that they would not wear a face mask. That's an example of what we see going on in our society again and again and again today. You see, on Wednesday, I've been preaching through 1 Corinthians, and the Apostle Paul has been very, very strong in chapters uh, 9 and 10 and 11. He's been very strong on not offending other people and understanding that, yes, you have these rights, but if the, the thing that is my right is hurting someone else or offending someone else, then I can choose to give up my right for their sake. So if you're with a group of people and you know that they are face masked people, then wear the face mask. Seriously, it's not gonna hurt you, I promise, right? And if you don't want to, you're so averse, then don't hang out with those people, right? It's just a matter of saying, do I love these people? Do I care for them? Now, I'm sorry for opening up this whole Pandora's box about face masks again, but it's really not about face masks. It's about whether or not I choose to love other people or not, amen? It's not about my rights. It's not about whether face masks are effective and da 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 No. It's about what these other people think and whether I actually care enough about them to do something that gives up my rights and says, okay. Now I could give other examples. There's all sorts of issues right now with planes and people acting up on planes. It was one that I read yesterday. Uh, a couple of people uh, moved up on their own. They left coach and moved up to business class. And when the, uh, when the stewardess or stewards asked them to move back, they wouldn't move back. They were like, no, there's nobody sitting in this seat. I'm going to take this seat. They, again, had to turn the plane around, fly back, land. Those two people were arrested. And the airline ended up having to pay thousands of dollars in fuel and paying for those other people because they had to cancel the flight paying for those other people to have new tickets, paying for those people to be able to stay in a hotel, all because two people were selfish. We've lost our minds in this culture today. So what I'm telling you, Christian, is that you and I, I can't control what other people do, but I can lead the way, amen? By the way, that's why our church is called LifeWell. Rather than pointing the finger at everybody else and telling them how wrong they are, I need to love well and live well so that people are drawn to that. Love well, live well, life, just shine the light. People are gonna to respond to that or they're not, but listen, their response is not your responsibility. Your responsibility and mine is to love God and to love people, right? And lastly, number nine, love is about more than words, right? My dad used to tell me I love you all the time, but he didn't prove it. So my dad and my mom got divorced when I was seven years old. And my dad was given a very, very low uh, child support for us, which he paid one time, one time. Don't tell me you love me, show it. Don't tell people that you love them, show it. Now, that doesn't mean don't tell them. What I'm saying is don't tell them unless you're willing to prove it with action. Uh, I'm going to read 1 John chapter 3, verses 14 through 18, but it concludes with a verse that would be valuable for you to remember. And here it is. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life. That's what Jesus said. 
said, if you're angry with your brother, you've already murdered him in your heart. Verse 16, we know, we, excuse me, we know love by this, that he, that's Jesus, laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers and sisters. But whoever has worldly goods and sees his brother or sister in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God remain in him? Little children, let's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. You do what you can with what you have, and you seek to act in the best interest of the other person. That's the basis for this idea of love. Notice there are no feelings involved in this at all. Now, you may have strong feelings toward other people. I was watching a, uh, a show yesterday, um, and there was a scene where there was a, oh, this kid must have been middle school age, middle school age girl standing there, and she played like some big instrument, I think like the cello or something like that. And she's standing there with a backpack and her cello, and it's cold outside, and she's obviously looking for her parent to come and give her a ride, right? And she's just freezing, and my heart just went out. Because I can remember times when I needed a ride home and, you know, both my parents were working or whatever and there was no opportunity. Uh, or again, you know, the, the feelings of abandonment that even when you're as old as I am, you can remember those going all the way back to when my dad essentially just abandoned us. And so I just had this natural feeling, right? But the feeling is not love, right? Now, it's just a movie. But if there's a kid out there, now in our world, I'm not going to go and pick the kid up. Right? That's just not what you do these days, right? That's just, you know, it's a dangerous precedent because who knows who's going to pick that kid up. But I can pull close enough to where I can keep an eye on that kid and make sure nobody's going to come and steal them. If they're standing there too long, I can call the, the authorities and ask them, you know, to come and check on the kid. I can do that. And that's action. That's taking action. But just driving by and seeing the kid and going, oh, and then driving on, that's not love, right? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. Amen? Amen. So today, point of action for you, receive God's love. Open your heart to the love of Jesus. He died for your sin. That's my self-interest. Sin, fundamentally, is selfishness. It is me looking out for my self-interest above everybody else. And then I receive the love of God and I choose to begin to love other people. That's what you and I are or should be all about.